Welcome to In Loving Recollection. This is your pal Brent. Picture yourself at your most comfortable. What does that look like? For me, I'm lying on the couch in the den of my Uncle Slats and Aunt Daryl's house in Atlanta. It was a small, cozy room with thick wood-paneled walls. The window of the wall that the couch sat against looked out into the backyard that was frequently filled with pigeons, which is probably one of the reasons I have such a fondness for that particular bird that not many people seem to share. Because this is the South, and the hot weather necessitates a need for frequent summertime napping, this couch was nicely broken in. Sheets covered the cushions, masking years of wear, and there was also an equally broken-in bed pillow, permanently placed at the couch's end. My body would sink into this couch. It was the perfect place for Thanksgiving naps or just watching TV. That's what I think of when I think of comfort, and I feel like I've spent my adult life working towards obtaining a sense of that place again. I also had a bit of an existential crisis when I was 21 and living in Atlanta. I was taking a shower... For those of you visualizing this, I was wearing a bathing suit, and I noticed a crack on the bathroom tile. I started staring at it and thinking, as one often does in the shower, how long had this crack been there, and how long would it remain? Had it existed before me, and would it outlast me? If something so seemingly insignificant is longer lasting, what does that say about me? That's when I had the realization that I really was going to die one day. It really freaked me out, and I had to lie down in the shower. So, as I've since moved through this world with that knowledge of my own mortality, I've placed a lot of importance on comfort. Like I said, trying to obtain a sense of that place that I felt my most comfortable. You know, it seems often is the case that when other people are confronted with their own mortality, They seek out new adventures, but for me it had the opposite effect. I seek out the familiar. I seek out the things, related or unrelated, that trigger those feelings of me at my most comfortable. I've certainly surrounded myself with things just for that purpose, and the stuff that I've come to truly love always seems to share this quality, which is to say, makes me feel the same way that this place did. Comfortable. Familiar. Safe. This is how the music of Caroline Says makes me feel. Perhaps it's Caroline Salee's tendency to repurpose items from our culture and make them her own, but there was something immediately comforting upon first listening to her music. When I first sought it out in 2018, after having read a review of Salee's first album, 50 Million Elvis Fans Can't Be Wrong, the music felt familiar, though I couldn't necessarily put my finger on how. The music just sounded like it had always been there, like a familiar, comforting presence, like a nicely broken-in couch. It also didn't hurt that Salee was a fellow Southerner. Growing up not too far from myself in the neighboring state of Alabama, in the same town as the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, which I did visit on a field trip with my fifth grade class. Side note. The only things I remember about that field trip were that we watched the movie Space Camp, and while we were watching, a girl that I had a crush on in my class played with my hair. So shortly after hearing Caroline Says for the first time, I read the announcement that a new record would be released that year called No Fool Like an Old Fool, 
and when No Fool Like an Old Fool was released, I put it on and I listened. This is the story of that record. I'm Caroline Salee, and I write and record under the name Caroline Says. Caroline Silly spent her childhood in the town of Huntsville, Alabama. And though her interest in music would eventually move her beyond it, Silly did initially enjoy growing up in her hometown. I honestly loved it when I was a kid. I mean, but who doesn't love their childhoods, I guess. But I guess I got I got more of a sense of how big the world was when I was in high school and that's when I, or middle school really and just started kind of hating it in a way. Um, I think it was kind of a boring place to grow up, and I just always, I really, I don't know. I always had a fascination with cities, and um, I don't know. I just really wanted to go see live music in high school and middle school, but there was nowhere to even see that. Or, like, it, when there was, I would go see, like, I would go see Christian rock shows just to, like, see music sometimes. By the time I was in high school and I had a car, I would actually drive to Birmingham or Nashville um, to just go see live music. And my parents, like I would do that on a school night. My parents trusted me enough to do that because I, was, I really wasn't interested in doing anything except I just wanted to see music. I wasn't trying to go party. It is while she's in elementary school that Salee becomes interested in learning to play the guitar. I asked for a guitar after really not playing any instrument at all my whole life. Uh, I asked for one when I was, um, I think, 10. For, I asked for it for Christmas. Just really, really wanted to learn how to play. And, well, I took lessons, but just for three months, because that teacher actually was trying to sell me this Squire guitar that was red, and I liked it because it was red, and I bought it. But then I found it in a guitar magazine for $99. So he just, like, ripped me off, and I was, like, 11 years old. So I, I stopped going to see him for guitar lessons. But one thing that I learned while taking guitar lessons was how to read tab or just, like, how to read chord charts. And I really think that's all you need, especially at that age, is just to really, really want to learn and, yeah, reading tab can help as well. In learning the guitar, Salee's interest in music broadens, making key musical discoveries that would influence much of the music she would eventually make under the moniker, Caroline says. I remember that guitar teacher was trying to teach me, like, Def Leppard, just, like, things I wasn't interested in at all. And I wanted to learn Blink-182. I learned Adam's song. That was probably, like, the first song I new start to finish and I actually performed it at my sixth grade talent show but I didn't sing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I played it on an acoustic guitar but then after that I got more into like I think Nirvana was a good just like starting point I from Nirvana I learned about the Pixies and Velvet Underground and like when I was like in the seventh and eighth grade was listening to a lot of music I still listen to now 
my older brother liked Nirvana a lot, and I I like Nirvana just because I heard it, you know, through him. And then I got kind of like sort of in a way obsessed just because I think a lot had to do with his influence. One of my parents' friends knew that I really liked Nirvana, and he was like, hey, if you like Nirvana, you should listen to The Velvet Underground. One of my good friend's stepdads had like a huge CD collection. So whenever anyone would recommend an artist to me, I would just go borrow a CD and burn it from him. And I burned White Light, White Heat. Mm -hmm. Um, But also got really into folk music and like I learned Blackbird by by the Beatles. And after that got really into like finger picking. And I, um, I learned These Days by Nico. And I learned... Friend of the Devil by Grateful Dead. I was just kind of kind of all over. So Lee also begins to write songs, as well as learn the basics of home recording. I've kind of just always done it. Um, I don't know, just like made up melodies and songs in my head. I mean, I tried to do it seriously in high school, but I never finished. Well, that's not true. I did finish things, but they were just really bad. But I, I guess I didn't ever really feel confident about it until... It took a long time. Like, I would write music and just not feel good about it a lot, uh, for years. I mean, still that happens, but you just have to push through it. But anyway, been writing a long time uh, and recording also. Like, my dad had Guitar Track Pro or something. It was like a great value version of Pro Tools that I recorded on a lot and would just kind of mess around, but never really have a finished product, would just kind of play around. But yeah, he he's always just recorded for fun uh he when i was growing up had like a multi-track recorder like on cassette and he had multiple keyboards and when i was in high school he got pro tools so i was very privileged learn pro tools at a young age but yeah i would spend a lot of time just with my friends making really dumb songs and i think that's kind of how i learned how to work the software there was a song, I worked on this for a long time. It was my freshman year of college, and it was the first song that I, like, showed people. I don't know. I think I did get some positive reactions, but I also, like, showed it to friends that just didn't care at all. That affected me, and I learned how to get over trying not to care so much about what your friends think about it or whatever. Also, I, I did a lot of, like, showing people unfinished songs. I learned that's a horrible thing to do, because if you get a bad response you're never going to finish it so i still record just totally by myself and don't show anyone anything until the finished product is ready another key development in the sound of caroline says is salee hearing fiona apple for the first time the first time i heard fiona apple was uh, at the movie theater when the credits rolled after pleasantville and um i thought it was like a little boy singing, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I think we we figured out who it was, and my parents bought the soundtrack. She was singing across the universe. But just the way she sings is kind of like she's just mumbling, and it almost sounds like she's about to pass out. And I think I had never, you know, heard someone sing that, like, just, the, I don't know, sing that way. And I think that kind of opened up. I was like, well... I can sing like that. I can sing like that. I don't know. I do think of my voice sometimes as like my strongest 
instrument in a way. I have the most control over it. And, you know, like I'll layer my vocals in a way that if I knew how to, you know, write out music and get an orchestra, like, but I can't do that. So I just sing every part of an orchestra, kind of. After graduating from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, Salee takes a trip out west. Upon returning to Huntsville, she begins work on her first record. After college, I went to work at Yellowstone National Park because I had a friend that had done it in the past and they recommended, I don't know, they just said it would be a fun thing to do. I just wanted to go on an adventure and I'd never really traveled by myself before. So I just lived there for like three months and worked in a restaurant. It was a good experience overall. I didn't have fun the entire time I was there, but when I look back on it, I'm very glad I did it. But anyway, I actually was able to save some money and I took a Greyhound bus from Bozeman, Montana to San Francisco, which is insane. I can't believe I did that. So it was like over two days on a bus. I had never been to California and I just had a week to do whatever I wanted because I just, I don't know. I was also very confident that I would find a job and like, I don't know, it wasn't important to me to save the money I'd made there, which was dumb because it did take me a while to find a job. Um, But anyway, I just... I was just kind of had this attitude, like, I can do whatever I want, and I did. And I just had a bunch of fun, and I, I like, saw Bob Dylan, and I saw uh, the comedian Maria Bamford, and I went to a music festival, and just did a lot of exploring. And then I took a train to Denver to see my aunt and uncle, and then I flew home to Huntsville. And to be honest, I don't know that, like, I didn't like think about that experience the entire time I wrote the album. I think that was just like the most exciting thing that had happened in my life around that time. I mean, I do think I learned from that trip that traveling is a great way to clear your head and feel inspired and feel creative. Cause I think I did feel all of those things, but the album took like a full year after that to finish. Salee records her debut record at her childhood home in Huntsville, Alabama. Originally released on cassette by the independent label Numinal Loom in May of 2014, 50 Million Elvis Fans Can't Be Wrong is also the first time that Silly uses the moniker of Caroline Says, a name borrowed from the Lou Reed songs of the same name that appear on his 1973 record, Berlin. I had a hard time um, figuring out what to call it, but I think I came up with that and I asked 
some friends, like, what do you think about that? And they said they thought it was cool. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and that's all it took. But yeah, sometimes I wish that, well, I wish that I had thought of a better, I don't know, more creative name, but also, um, I don't know that I ever would have felt really happy with a moniker, you know. The moniker Caroline says is just one example of Celie's tendency to borrow and reconceptualize titles from other works. Along with the album title, which is borrowed from the famous late 50s Elvis compilation, there's also the wonderful track, I Think I'm Alone Now. In fact, I Think I'm Alone Now was the first song I heard by Caroline says, and I knew, based on the moniker, album, and song title, that it had to be good. It's this concept that initially made me interested in Salih's music. Now, I assume that Salih was following the musical tradition of other great works with borrowed titles, such as The Replacements Let It Be and Lamb Chop's Thriller, though Salih did not necessarily take this into account in the naming of her work. I think I, like at the time, I just thought it was funny. I don't know if that's like the best, <laughs> like best reason. Well, I think that's kind of maybe what I was going for. Like, I didn't want it to come off as too heavy or something. It is around the completion of 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong that Salih relocates to Austin, Texas. I got an AmeriCorps position. Yeah, just kind of moved here without ever visiting or anything. Or, you know, I knew it was a cool city. And I, I moved here thinking like, well, if I don't like it, AmeriCorps is only one year. But I ended up staying i definitely like was fascinated with texas and just I don't, it, yeah it's definitely like an area i wasn't familiar with it kind of just worked out that i moved to austin because i applied to so many different americorps places like in different cities all over the place just i didn't really <laughs> i didn't know what i i just knew i wanted to get out of I guess my comfort zone and do something, you know, move to a new city. So I just applied to cities that I had some interest in possibly living in. After getting settled in Austin and eventually acquiring recording equipment, Salih begins to write and record the songs that would make up her next record. Well, I didn't have any um, recording stuff because that was all my dad's. And I also have, I just have a hard time writing if I'm not recording because that's kind of how I write a lot of the time. But I'll have something in mind, some riff in mind or some chord progression in mind. But I do a lot of just building on it in the recording session. I actually never have lyrics. That is the very last thing I, I, I do. I mean, I'm constantly writing down ideas for lyrics, but like the lyrics aren't a concrete part of the song until after everything else is done. I'll have a melody in mind, but I usually write the lyrics last. I ended up getting Pro Tools uh, on my own computer and um, started recording and writing then. But even then, like it does, it just takes me a very long time <laughs> to feel good about a song or to push through to finish a song. But yeah, I pretty much I started writing a few months after, like. I moved to Austin. Recording alone in her apartment, Salih plays all the instruments on the record. Because this is a self-produced recording, 
She makes the most with the amount of tools at her disposal. It is through this that she creates a consistency to the sound of her record. That apartment, like, would flood all the time. And then, like, my landlord's wife died, and then he was really mean to me. Uh, <laughs> and then I found this, like, one of, my, one of my cats was playing with a string, I thought, and I walked up, and it was a dead snake. And I don't know how a snake got into my apartment. But anyway, it was it was very gross, very uncomfortable. I had to be respectful of, like, my landlords um, and just, I would try to record maybe when they weren't home or, like, during the time, like, I would try to make it really fast, too. I felt, like, rushed all the time. Um, and, yeah, just to not bother them. But singing is something I would do at night because I'm not a loud singer. So that's always something I could do at night. And I could, like, DI. I would always DI the bass or, like, all the keyboards I could do on headphones or whatever. But the, anything loud, like, I would have to figure out a good time to do it and try to do it as fast as I could. And in the end, she makes a record. No Fool Like an Old Fool opens with First Song, a great lead-in to an album full of similar beautiful and interesting moments. Throughout the track's gradual progression, electronic flourishes and ambient sounds swirling in the background fill in the sonic space. But the real highlights of First Song are Silly's beautiful vocal performances and finger-pick guitar. I actually just started playing that when I was trying to play like a different chord, but that just is what I played on accident. It was very just serendipitous and uh, kind of made it up on the spot, just like those first three chords and the finger picking style. And um, uh, from there, I actually don't remember how I made that like weird backwards guitar, like echoey sound. Yeah, I did that with a guitar and just like Pro Tools effects um, and have no idea how I did it. But when I did it, I was like, hell yes. I feel like that's a lot of how I record. A lot of things just happen. They're happy accidents. Didn't know what I was doing and ended up with something I liked. To be honest, I do just write a lot of lyrics and then figure out what it means later. <laughs> but like, I mean, I think that song's just a song about heartbreak and love. I don't know. You know, pretty typical. <laughs> but uh, when we when we were mixing that, my mixer, his name's Ian Rendell, uh, he, he started calling it the butt song because I say butt so many times. And he had to, like, like, it would pop every time I said butt. And so he had to, like, fix every time I said butt. Anyway... I thought it was pretty funny. We just ended up calling that the butt song.
following first song is Sweet Home Alabama. Its looping instrumentation has a slight 60s pop tinge to it, and the song's downtrodden lyrics about being stuck add a bit of irony to the track's repurposed title. Uh, started with a sample, and I think I, because I, I'm not a great drummer, and I guess because drum machines aren't really cool, I thought it'd be cool to just find bits of song without any um, any instrumentation and just like take those bits and make a loop out of, out of the drum beats in those bits and that's what I did with this song. But I'm not gonna tell you what I looped it from. But I just, I started with that and just went from there. I don't know, like I, so I started with that and Pro Tools and just started recording over it and it ended, it ended up being like, it actually is a pretty happy loop that I stole from. It's a very happy sounding loop. And I somehow just turned it into a very dark sounding song. But yeah, and then I just, I used a lot of reason sounds on that song. And the guitar is actually the main guitar part. That part is not looped. I just played that over and over. And I don't know why I did that. I mean, I guess I just wanted it to not sound like a loop, but it still sounds like a loop. Sweet Home Alabama is released as the first single for No Fool Like an Old Fool. And in a statement, she spoke about the ubiquitous nature of the Leonard Skinner original and being from Alabama, how at an early age, she grew to really despise the song and what she believed it represented. Unintentionally, her description of the song did offend some. Another thing I do is I name songs after they're done. Um, and... I do kind of regret naming it that because I, like I said, I just think it's, I thought it would be funny, but like I made it into a political song, which I didn't mean to make it at all. Like it's just, and I think I insulted a lot of people with my description of it, but I think I just like made it sound like I'm so glad I'm out of Alabama and like it sucks there. And like, I don't really feel, I actually in a way feel kind of like I'm obviously somewhat like insecure about it in a way, but I'm also very, I'm proud of like, you know, being from the South and like not being an idiot and like having friends that are from the South who are also not idiots. I don't know. I wrote down a quote um, by Chuck Reese. He just has like a blog about the South, Mm -hmm. but I I wrote it down and I like it. It's, he said, it comes down to everybody alive wants to feel proud of where they're from. It's just harder down here. Culpa is my favorite song on this record. It's the type of song that you immediately want to replay numerous times after hearing it for the first time. I mean, it's a song that I wish were around when I still made mixtapes trying to impress girls. It has a great 90s jangle pop vibe to it. And unfortunately for me, 
It's the song for which Sully probably had the least amount to say. But that's okay. It doesn't lessen my love for this song. I mean, I think it's overall, I don't know. Like, in some ways, it could be interpreted as like a love song. Um, and I think I wrote the, the chord structure all in one night and um, and then took a break from it and came back to it. And I actually, in my the Pro Tools folder I named it was R.E.M. song because I thought it sounded like R.E.M. when I first started playing it. Um, but then it didn't. It, it doesn't sound like R.E.M. anymore. But that, that was the title of it in, on my computer. I think I, I was going for like a nostalgic kind of 90s vibe. It kind of sounds like a Pete and Pete song or something. If we can stay on Mea Culpa for, for just a little bit longer, I do want to bring attention to what I believe is the sweet spot of this song. So listen for when Celie sings the phrase, when I say. It's, it's really good stuff. See, I told you, wasn't that good? And I'm totally fine if you need to pause the show and go listen to that song a couple of times. Good Thief Stills Clean is a beautiful, dreamy, and atmospheric track that continues to build as it progresses and is a good example of Sully's gift as an arranger. The song's lyrics were inspired by the 1971 Al Pacino film, The Panic in Needle Park. Yeah, I just watched that movie. Yeah, I just kind of like, I write the lyrics last a lot and I just didn't know what to make. I didn't, I just felt kind of stuck and didn't know what to really write about and i think if i can figure out what a song's supposed to be about i can write about it and i think a good way to do that is is like you know put yourself in a fictional perspective mm-hmm. so i was inspired by that movie i think this was like the last song i even recorded for this album um and i had i had this loop i do a lot of like i make kind of ambient loops out of other songs like a sample songs and then like what i say is i put my thing down flip it and reverse it and um make it into a totally different sounding song but i had that piano part just like on my computer somewhere and then i had like i don't the very faint guitar parts that you can hear in the background i had those from like when i was in college and i put those together and I was like, wow, they work together. Um, but I also, I really was wanted to make a Tinder Buttons sounding song. And 
definitely if you get that vibe it was very intentional like i said Continuing the atmospheric vibe with layered vocals, metronomic drums, and slide guitar is the track Rip Off. It was inspired by this NPR story I heard about a dancer in Iraq who his dream was to come to New York and be a professional dancer and then he died. But I don't know. It just it was a story that kind of affected me and I was just writing this song at the time, so I just kinda of put myself in that perspective. The bass was very inspired by Walk on the Wild Side <laughs> because on that song, it's like, you know, two notes at once. And I learned how to play that. And then I just like, instead of playing them at once, I would just, you know, finger pick them. So that's a fun fact about the bass. Um, I don't really play slide much. And I don't know what made me think like, I don't know, I guess I was just thinking like, an electric guitar song with a slide would be cool. The drums are also stolen from another song that I can't, I'm not gonna share. I did a lot of like taking the drums. I don't agree that it's stealing if you make them sound totally different. Like I don't even think the artist would know. I don't always agree with sampling, but I think it's an art form if you can make it sound like a different song completely. Following ripoff is the song Black Hole another track that once again highlights Celeste's talents as both a guitarist and a ranger. Though it starts off in the vein of a standard folk song, it is when Black Hole builds to its last section that Celeste brings in sly guitar and ambient noises creating interconnectedness between it and previous tracks. I just, um, I, I don't I have no idea how I played it, honestly. I played it in an open tuning that I didn't write down, and I wrote and, like, recorded it in the same day, and I have no idea how I played Like, I could never, 
I would have to have someone who's better at playing by ear show me how to play it to ever play it again. But anyway, the lyrics are kind of, I was, I've loved the movie Badlands for years and uh, it's about Charles Starkweather or was like inspired by that murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know, I was just kind of fascinated with that story. And I also was like fascinated with how much art was made about that murder story. Like, like Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska and stuff. I don't know. And I just, I was like, I want to write a song about it too. Like, I, I remember when we were mixing, I was like, I want the, like, the, the harmonies. I want it to sound like we're at church. So like at the end, that was that was the goal was like to make it sound like a choir at church. I don't know. I just wanted it to sound very haunting. My um, silver tone silhouette has a bridge on it, and I was just tinkering with the strings above the bridge. And uh, I don't know how I figured that out. That but like you can play a slide and play the just like um, you know play the strings above the the bridge and it will pick up a very high sound and then i layered it i made a whole harmony of just like the the bridge tinkering just like uh, i wanted the outro to sound totally different than the rest of the song Jerk, a title repurposed from the 1966 dance song by the Capitals, is a song drenched in reverb, but anchored by steady, mechanical-like drums. The impetus for writing this particular track was inspired by a song that appeared on the first Caroline Says record. Like Mia Culpa was called R.E.M. song, this song was called Stereolab song. Like, I was definitely trying to sound like Stereolab with this song, which I don't know that I succeeded, but... That was my goal, was to make a stereo lab sounding song. And then another thing about this song is it's in the same open tuning as my fiance's pets. I mean, I did that on purpose so that we could, because I, I have one guitar. I played my telly open tune just to play one song a lot of the time. Or like before before I wrote this song, that's what I did. I would switch guitars. And I was like, I should write another song in that tuning so I can play more than one song and and not have to switch guitars just for one song, which is a weird way to go into writing a song. But that's 
that's what I was doing. And to this day, I do not know what the lyrics mean. <laughs> uh, I used to kind of cringe when I sang them, but now I, I've, I actually, I think they're all right. As No Fool Like an Old Fool nears its end, we get the beautiful bossa nova indebted number, I Tried. short story by Laurie Moore about like a has-been actress it's called willing and I think that inspired me a lot but I don't know I think I had this idea for a while just like something interesting about knowing your you past your prime or something like there's something just very sad about that <laughs> and how that must feel I think that was the first song I wrote and like finished after my break between 50 million and no fool. That was the first song that I was, that I finished. And I think maybe that's why it is. I feel like the strongest song It's because I had so much, you know, I had so much time to, to think on it. And <laughs> it's what came out after having a, a long break of not really writing much. My friend Garrett, who he's like the founder of this record label called Numinal Loom, he was putting out a mix and he asked me to put a song on it. And I didn't have any songs to put on it. But he gave me like five days or something. It was like a really short amount of time. And maybe that's what I should do. Like I should just make myself have a deadline because I wrote the song under that pressure and like came up with I don't know. I think that is my favorite song on the record. Lone Star Tall Boy ends No Fool Like an Old Fool on a similar note to which the record begins. And like first song, it's a track highlighted by Celie's layered vocals and fingerpick guitar. I felt 
yeah, I was like into that picking style, um, just like bossa nova sound. And I actually, that song was a um, longer song that I cut down because I decided it was too cheesy. It was at first a long, very descriptive song about like someone getting divorced. I remember some people being like, well, what do you know about divorce? And just, I don't know, then I just felt kind of silly about it. And it was just, it was like kind of heavy handed. So anyway, I shortened it <laughs> and made it. I mean, it's still, I think it is still about like a typical, typical themes of like being heartbroken and kind of a, a love song. But uh, I also pictured the ending of it. I pictured it being in a movie. Like I, I wanted it to sound very theatrical. After completing the record, Salee signs with the Austin-based independent label, Western Vinyl. Prior to the release of No Fool Like an Old Fool, Western Vinyl re-releases 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. My trajectory is like pretty, I think, unusual, because I got a publishing deal first. I was on Secretly Canadian Publishing, and I still am. When my album 50 Million was just on Bandcamp, I got a, an email from someone who does A&R for like secretly Canadian and Jag Jaguar and like those labels and just out of the blue. And they said that they wanted to come see me during South by play and asked if I had any shows. And at that time I didn't have a band or like, and I'd never played live, but I knew like I need to get a band together and I need, I need to play for them. And when I finished this record, I sent it to them thinking they could help me, and they did. They sent it to Western, and that's how I got on Western Vinyl. And I actually, I work for Western Vinyl now, so it was a good good thing. With the recording finished, Salee finalizes the details of her next record, such as album title and cover art. And true to the project of Caroline Says, Salee borrows the album title from another work. Honestly, no Fool Like an Old Fool by Buck Owens came on my iTunes, like, shuffle. And I just thought, like, it made, I don't know, it made sense with, like, the, a lot of the themes. I liked the way it sounded. For the album art, Maude Morgan, who played bass in the live version of Caroline Says, creates a black and white drawing of people at the beach. She actually drew it for the cover. I just really liked her artwork. I kind of liked that my last record kind of represented an era, you know, it rep I took that photo when I was in Yellowstone. So I don't know, kind of represented a moment in time. And I felt like my friendship with Maude was kind of new and I really liked her artwork and I just thought it would make sense and also like represent that time. Mm -hmm. um, and she, she kind of came up with the idea of it, but yeah, she's very talented. No Fool Like an Old Fool is released on March 16, 2018. Perhaps as a symptom of being an independent artist releasing music during a time in which an abundance of content exists, Salee kept her expectations low and therefore did not necessarily anticipate any of the recognition and attention the record would receive. I think it was all just very surprising. I think if you had told me when I was in high school that I would have a pitchfork review, I would just, I'd be like, okay, all right, well, my life will be good. 
So I don't know. I think I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy people are even paying attention. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of surreal at times. And as for her feelings on No Fool Like an Old Fool, Celia is satisfied with what she was able to create. I actually did listen to it not too long ago. I mean, I think that's when I figured out, like, I tried is, you know, my favorite song on it. But I don't know. I'm, I think I, I feel pretty proud of it for the most part. There are some things I would do differently, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it. Thanks for listening to In Loving Recollection. A very special thanks to Caroline Salee for speaking with me about this very special record. You can stream and buy No Fool Like an Old Fool and more from Salee's discography on carolinesays.bandcamp.com, various streaming platforms, and westernvinyl.com. Seek this stuff out. It'll make you a better person. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at inlovingrecollection.com. We'll see you next time. We'll get through this.